week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. And in a very busy program today, we'll be telling you about a Solihull councillor who had to resign from a committee on Friday after making what would be called ill-advised comments about children with autism. We'll also be hearing from a campaigner who says that e-scooters in Birmingham are dangerous, the tread on the tyres wears too quickly, and they are a particular hazard to people with visual impairments. And also, Fiona Douglas will be returning to the show. She's been doing one of her brilliant interviews with local artists a great band called Roma Cove we'll be chatting with Fiona and we'll be hearing their music on the show as well it's all on the week with me Ben Ellis right here on Switch Radio The Week with Ben Ellis This is Switch A Solihull councillor has resigned from her position after comments she made about children with autism Councillor Angela Sanderson, the Conservative Councillor for St Alphage, questioned whether autism was being overdiagnosed and is accused of suggesting mothers are too often on their phone and this could be causing increasing rates. An investigation was launched following the meeting of the Children's Education and Skills Scrutiny Committee meeting on the 22nd of September. The North Solihull Additional Needs Parent Support Group said around 100 upset and angry parents had been in touch and relayed their complaints to the council. The council leader, Ian Courts, on Friday announced Councillor Sanderson had stepped down from the committee and that we will go into this now with, uh, joined on the line by... Uh, Sajida Golby, who is a representative of the North Solihull Additional Needs Parent Support Group. Uh, good uh, afternoon. Hi, yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, very distressing this. I mean, it, it broke uh, as a story uh, reasonably late on Friday. Um, I'm, I'm not obviously going to um, ask a, a sort of a patronising question as to, to your thoughts on this, uh, because I, th- I think it, it's fairly plain and obvious. But I mean, it's staggering to me that the, the level of of ignorance from somebody in a in an elected position. Yeah, our concern is that it's a neurodevelopment disorder. It's not a result of parent neglect or bad parenting or moms being on the phone um, and that can be viewed as gaslighting it's neurodevelopment the baby is born um, with autism and it's upsetting that someone would say something like this in a public forum because it concerns us what he said then behind closed doors and I think it's really upsetting that the interim director also agreed and I think the concern from parents from the feedback we received was the five-year transformation plan is based on this media article and that for us is quite concerning and I think that's the bigger picture because parents need to be involved to highlight actually is a neurodevelopment disorder and you can't base any plan on such a study. And and that brings... Uh, the, the the point of ignorance. I mean, how, how can somebody who in a position that where they are elected, uh, and this goes for anybody who is elected to, to the position they hold, so a, a councillor, a member of parliament, or anything like that, your your duty is to represent people, and and how how can you 
represent people if if you have this this staggering uh, amount of ignorance well you can't really i think it's about education i think primary what we have said as a group it's education and um, the more you educate yourself the better for informed you are and you can represent our children and our young pe- young people in the borough um, and we what we have said is we are willing as a group um, to provide that education from experts by experience we think all elected councillors and officers who are representing send families should have this mandatory training on all send not just autism all send needs there is a massive level of send um, in abara we have to, in order to get a diagnosis of autism you have to go through a multidisciplinary process so that comment doesn't only offend us but also professionals because this process is such a long-winded process it involves psychologists involves pediatricians it involves speech and language therapists and our sas service in solihull are really amazing yes there's a two year wait now which is really sad and that's a different matter altogether but they are a really good service and we can't take that away that we have got a really good sas service and by our children being diagnosed early on it actually means that the right interventions can be put in place at home and in school well mainly school a lot of our children presently in solihull are out of school and forcefully home educated or in the wrong placement because they're not getting the right support because schools don't know how to you know what their needs are so how can having an early diagnosis be seen as a negative thing early intervention can only be seen as positive i couldn't agree and with you embracing autism autism is not a negative thing absolutely uh, i couldn't agree more with this i'm not going to go into detail on a personal level but i have experience of this um in terms of of, of the not not just the um the idea of uh, what is happening here but also um the the struggle that um, in terms of education in Soli Hall, um, where where the the provision and the education and I don't mean the children's education, the education of the system just isn't there, uh, and, and and it is a it is a big struggle. We do have a statement from Councillor Sanderson, who uh, we must stress at this point only resigned from the committee. She's still the Conservative councillor for St Alfridge, but uh, this is a quote: "In no way." is autism due to bad parenting. Autism is real and I in no way meant to blame parents. I unreservedly apologize. Uh, I am very sorry for the upset cause and I would like to offer my resignation from the scrutiny board. What, what's your uh, reaction to that statement? Um, I think there's more to it. I think if she said, okay, educate me, please. You know, yes, I'm, I'm sorry, but educate me, I think, it goes back to what I said, my original point, education is key. And that's the only way we're going to resolve any sort of ignorance or people thinking autism is a bad thing or, you know, having a diagnosis is a bad thing. Um, you know, our children are amazing. I've, I've got autistic children myself and they are wonderful and I'm proud and my children feel proud to be autistic because that's how I raised them. I've not, I've not told them it's a negative thing because it's not 
And if if the counsellor wants education, please come to us as expert by experience. We run a fantastic support group, North Solihull Additional Needs Group, and parents from across the borough, north, south, and rural access this group. And we are willing to sit down with anyone to educate them. Um, and there are other amazing support groups in the borough as well. So there's so many families out there that she can get this education from um, and ha- you know, and, and build that rapport. So she, moving forward, whatever she does next, um, she makes sure she, she's fully aware of um, send not being seen in a negative light. Yes. I think our children have enough battles in the world um, and facing negativity. It, 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 it's not nice, especially when we're in, you're in power. She, yes, she's resigned from the board. What does that actually mean? How does that help anyone? A, she, she needs education, but also tomorrow 10 more people might have the same views or 15 more people or, you know, however many more. It, it, we need to change the view. I think that's I think that's what our we're, we're trying to say. One resignation, it's kind of taking away um, the importance of what we're saying as a group, which is actually we don't want a five-year plan based on this as well. Um, and that's for us is really concerning. We represent 1,300 families in Solihull. Come and talk to us. Our families have a voice. Our families have a view. Yes, we're based in the north of the borough, but it does not mean the north should be segregated from the south or rural parts. Actually, our group represent families from the rural and south of the borough as well. Talk to all families, whether they're south, north, rural, be inclusive. At the moment, there's a lot of exclusion going on. You can't be inclusive by excluding families. Uh, absolutely, I would uh, agree 100% with, with what you're saying there. Uh, just one thing before we, we let you go, obviously uh, North Solihull is, is what you talked about there, but you, you must be aware uh, of the ongoing issues with um, SEND transport uh, that, that's going on in Birmingham. Um, there's a, a, a tussle between different sides of Birmingham City Council uh, about uh, drivers who don't have DBS checks and um, the the level of insurance on vehicles and, and things like that. I mean, the, the this is a horrible story in Birmingham. It is. I've got lots of friends. I'm originally from Birmingham myself, and I've got lots of friends uh, within the same community um, because the same community is like a family. So whether you're from Birmingham or Gloucester or wherever you're from, we're one big family. We support one another. And um, that was proven from the number of complaints we received. And obviously, collectively, we sent out. We, we, we don't do anything in isolation. We do it at, together, united. And um, it's upsetting because when you hear that vulnerable kids are being left in the wrong schools or being transported by people who are not DBS checked, it is really sad. These are vulnerable children and it shouldn't happen to any child, let alone a vulnerable child. But this is even in Solihull, we've got massive amount of transport issues in Solihull. Um, you know, I know there's a national shortage of drivers, but we should not be saying in any um, comments we make whether that comes from schooling to transport that there's a national crisis no we need to look at our own borough we need to be the best what are we gonna do to make sure Solihull Solihull is the best and then Birmingham obviously need to do the same and um, you know we're neighboring boroughs so we should be 
um, rooting for each other and making sure all our kids are protected regardless where they're from. Um, but yeah, the, the transport issue is happening in, sadly in Solihull as well because there is a shortage of um, uh, drivers and that's impacting our families. Um, and that needs to be obviously looked into as well. So Gina Galby from the North Solihull Additional Needs Parent Support Group, uh, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to join us on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. You're listening to The Best of the Week with me, Ben Ellis, from Switch Radio. Let's do some stories. And residents fed up with bus passengers staring into their windows and loud crowds shouting just yards from their homes fear a new scheme could make matters worse. Those living in a small row of cottages alongside Load Lane in Soli Hall were appalled to learn that a large lit-up shelter could be installed to serve a new Sprint service. It's around 10 years since they fought to have a shelter outside their properties replaced with a simple pole. And shock figures reveal that schooling just two solely Hall kids with high complicated needs costs more than £400,000 a year. While these are the single most expensive placements the council handles, they are symptomatic of mounting pressures on children's services in the borough. Much of the strain falls on the so-called high-needs block, which supports youngsters with special educational needs and disability. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. A campaigner has said more than a quarter of the tyres on a sample of Birmingham e-scooters have worn away tread and has questioned their safety. Sarah Gayton of the National Federation of the Blind of the UK carried out a review of scooter tyres, inspecting 290 of the 1,200 scooters involved in the city's trial. Uh, she has some interesting findings, uh, which have been refuted by the uh, e-scooter provider Voy, but we'll get into that as well. But right now, I'm uh, pleased to say Sarah Gayton joins me on the line uh, right now. Hello, Sarah. Good morning. Hello there. Um, yeah, just a, a bit of context here. Uh, e-scooters uh, in, in Birmingham was was a big thing that was pushed quite recently. And uh, we did a piece on this show where we recorded um, an interview with a, a celebrity who'd been put up to be like the, the face of this campaign and it was all ready to go. And then we started... Um, to see reports of people having accidents on them and uh, questioning that these things might not be uh, as safe as people are making out. And we decided not to play the interview uh, until uh, until we had more uh, confirmation that these things were safe. Now, your research uh, is suggesting that they're not as safe as people are making out. Oh, definitely. I mean, I went and walked for hours and hours and hours in Birmingham, you know, and all I did was just sort of bend down, <laughs> take a photo, have a look at that e-scooter tyre and get the evidence. And I did some videoing of the tyres as well. So I've got video, not all of them, but I've got photographic evidence. And I was absolutely shocked, you know, because some of the tyres, yeah, fine, you know, but actually there was a lot with the tread gone and tread missing from that scooter tyre. But also the side wall of the tyre had cracks in it. Now, you know, I think, what did I find there? There was um, 14 of the tires were like that. But, you know, I couldn't at that time get full access 
to the whole of the tire because the back fender or the like the mudguard part covers it. So I think there's actually probably more potentially with split tires on, on the streets of Birmingham. I mean, I'm a complete sort of not not amateur, but but let's just say a layman when it comes to this kind of thing. But you, you kind of put two and two together. And in, in the centre of Birmingham, particularly, um, we have a lot of cobbled streets and uh, sort of a one way system. Now, if uh, lots of people are using these e-scooters on the, the cobbled streets of, uh, shall we say, uh, New Street and outside the council house and uh, I think there are parts of uh, Colmore Row at the back of the cathedral as well. You know, that just says to me that, that those roads are built, uh, are designed for people to walk on. Um, not for not for tyres to be moving on all the time. Well, you know, the, there is a problem there. I mean, the, those cobbles also are problems for people with, you know, with, have got problems with their feet, you know, because the two yeah. really hurt. Yeah, you know, true. so it's a real, I mean, the whole of Birmingham really needs to be re-looked re at for pedestrians because the state of some of the pavements are shocking. You know, people that use white canes, I know reportedly have been told me that there's real problems because of the state of the pavements. But I think there's a bigger problem here, you know, because I actually found when photographing these e-scooters that the weight limit is 100 kilos. Now, Google tells me that's 15.7 stones in weight. Now, you know, I'm quite overweight. I've lost weight walking, riding all of these scooters, so it's done me some good. But actually, you know, there's some, some people out there that are over that weight. And actually, when I have seen so many people riding double on that scooter, you know, that has to go over that weight limit. So we have to really look, you know, look at the, the streets, look at the cobbles, look at how people are riding them. They're whacking them up and down the curbs. They're doing stunts on them. They're being crazy on them. And this weight weight limit now on the actual tire itself, there's a, there's a whole multitude of, of issues there that really need to be investigated. Interesting. Uh you're saying that uh, 28%, so 80 of the tyres appear to be not fit for purpose of the 290 that you uh, examined. This is interesting. The claims have been refuted by the e-scooter provider, Voy, who say, and this is a quote, nearly every vehicle's tyres are safe. Well, you know... Not all of, not all of them. No, everything's <laughs> absolutely fine. Nearly... <laughs> Every vehicle's tyres are safe. Well, that fills well, you with confidence, doesn't it? <laughs> to be honest, it's a service they're offering. Every single person getting on that scooter, it should be fit for purpose because it's your life. You're putting the hands in the trust of that company. So, you know, you're actually going on the highway. You could be on the road or more than likely be on the pavement. And the people I've seen are not checking that safety of the back wheel. So it <laughs> You know, they've actually admitted there's a problem that is, is, you know, they couldn't refute that. But the enormity of the problem, you know, we need independent people come in. I've actually written to the chief constable of West Midlands Police and asked them to inspect because they enforce road safety. So they should be down on the hands and knees, looking at these tyres, taking them away for investigation and actually making a decision on it. I haven't had a response from them yet, but, you know, it isn't... <laughs> You don't self-regulate. You don't inspect them yourself and say, this is fine. That's why we have regulatory bodies. So, you know, who is inspecting these vehicles? Have the police ever inspected them? Has trading standards ever inspected them? 
have the council officers ever been down on the hands and knees and got the, got the hands dirty and looked at these scooters? Has the Department for Transport been up and looked at these scooters, the safety? I mean, this isn't just a problem in Birmingham. You should, you should see the state in Nottingham. Yeah. Absolutely shocking. I mean, they've got quite big holes in them. And as I started this process, you know, I've been down to other places like Northampton, Kettering and Corby, you know, and it's either Kettering or Corby. Again, I found Roy e-scooters with the sort of holes in the bottom of the tide because I've learned I can actually gently put, pull them over and start to really look at the tyre. You know, so I was shocked in some of these other places. So it begs the question, who who has been inspecting it? We know in Liverpool there's been a marked increase in um, musculoskeletal injuries because of the onset of the e-scooters with the rentable ones and this, um, with the illegal e-scooters. And when I put a freedom of information onto the Birmingham hospitals or the hospital, you know, the A&E section, they were not, they hadn't even got an A&E code. So, you know, they don't know how many accidents and injuries are going in. But, you know, you anybody can look at that and just like I did and say, there appears to be a problem here. And somebody has to act, has to take control, has to get in there and sort this mess out because the students are back in Birmingham. They've got a um, they've been locked up so much. They've got a new freedom again. Money in the bank with a loan. And suddenly, whoa, we've got e-scooters. Let's jump on it. Somebody somewhere needs to act on this issue. Do we know, as, as I said, I'm a complete layman, do we know what kind of noise an e-scooter makes? Well, there's, there's not much noise at all, to be honest. And when you put that in the background of the rest of the noise within the city streetscape, like the buzzes, the cars, people talking, you know, noise, music and everything else, you cannot hear them. So and I'm this, so I'm yes. So I'm thinking about from uh, your point of view as a campaigner uh, for the National Federation of the Blind of the UK. If the if if people who are um, partially sighted or, or blind cannot distinguish the noise of an e-scooter, uh, they're at a disadvantage in knowing that it's coming. Surely, and if 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 we're labelling a lot of e-scooter people as, as as young, and it's a controversial thing, but young and irresponsible, they're not going to. De- going to take the necessary road safety to to sort of or pavement safety to avoid people are they so um so so um, people um that fall into this category that they're particularly vulnerable to e-scooters oh definitely you know i mean there's two issues one is their own personal safety and i don't think they understand the risks they're putting themselves into by jumping on the machines and also the pedestrian safety because i've witnessed in birmingham gangs and individuals or two or three people bombing it on that pavement and for a blind or visually impaired person you know they they can't see it but they don't know which way they're going so they cannot physically get out of the way i have seen people jump out of the way i've seen people being pulled out of the way by a, a concerned friend or relative but our members you can't do that you can't just move or jump because you don't know where it's coming from and it's the last second you probably hear it whoosh past you or you know that it's frightening for them so you know and the young people the actual checks on that e-scooter you know i could hire an e-scooter out today i could just put my details in put my driving license in and i could get access to it then i could actually hand it to you immediately i could pass it to you now i have filmed that many many times in in birmingham 
so what does that actually mean? It means that people under age can get access to that e-scooter very easily. It means that people don't have to even have a provisional driving license. It brings the insurance into question, you know, because that person hasn't signed the tick box that they comply with all the terms and conditions, but it doesn't check the age. And it also, it doesn't mean that the people have gone through the so-called online school of training for safety. But you have to question that. Who can learn road safety from an online app when you're standing in the middle of a street with all your mates around, with all the bustle and the hustle of, of the cityscape, and they're trying to tell you about road safety. And that, but those people that skip that whole process have got no, absolute no, even knowledge of that process. And they have, I've seen it so many times. And Roy will say, oh, well, the police can intervene or their so-called inspectors will intervene. That procedure happens in seconds and nobody really knows that that's going on. You know, and it, it's, it's that very basic fundamental safety process that everybody was told about, have a driving license, have an age check, have the online training. Well, that actually doesn't account for the people that are skipping that process. It's, it's absolutely shocking. It's an absolute scandal that nobody has intervened, even nearly, well, it's after a year now, that this is still going on. It, it's shocking. Papers to the City Council's Cabinet state there have been 118 injuries in the city centre over the course of just over half a million rides taken, meaning that's 0.02% of the rides resulted in uh, injuries, if that's like, supposed to be okay. And uh, the e-scooter trial in Birmingham recently gained Cabinet approval to be extended until uh, the end of March of next year, and potentially even further to uh, this time next year, end of September. So um, are, are you going to be sort of still on the case with this? It's not, not something you're going to let up on. Well, you know, those figures you've just quoted, like I've said, the hospital a few months ago, um, I'd have to find the exact date, but they hadn't got a code for e-scooter accidents. So if they haven't got a code, you don't know how many injuries have gone through. And some of those 108 were actually quite serious injuries. And, you know, I, I did again before ask for the injury rate and I'm, it was, there was only a certain amount of serious injuries and, and no mention of minor ones at that time. So actually there's been, it would appear there's been a sudden increase in serious injuries over the, the summer period, you know, so who is looking at the data? So I, I actually don't really truly believe that is the accurate data for, for Birmingham. I just, I don't accept it. I think the hospital by now should have got its sort of um, codes into place because they were completely overwhelmed with COVID and I get that, but actually this is really, really important. The night before, okay, it was late in the evening. So it took me ages to analyze the data. I gave that data to every single councillor on Birmingham City Council and pleaded with them to actually not to make the decision to extend it right, because of the state of those, those tyres. And that was ignored. What they could have done was quite simply say, actually, we've had new evidence in, let's postpone this evidence, let's, sorry, let's postpone this decision until we've gone through it. But it appears to me they've made the decision to carry on, even though that shocking evidence was given to them. Now, it's Void that's saying that they're fine, but who is independently gone and check them who who has done it so you know 
I find the whole thing actually quite shocking. And in Nottingham, you know, I haven't had the West Midlands police response, but in Nottingham, I asked the police chief there, sent him the evidence, and literally I had an email yesterday saying, here you go, I've sent it to the city council because it's their scheme. I'm like, hold on, hold on. You're the police. You should be inspecting road safety. You should be taking some action and going to look at these e-scooters and taking them off the street because, to me, they appear not fit for purpose. The same in Liverpool. I wrote to the chief constable there and said, here's the evidence. And in Liverpool, there were 36 of the sidewall tyres that had got splits in. Sorry, 33. And again, they sent me a response from Boy saying, similar to what you said, but something a little bit more different. But how can that be that our police force are actually allowing the company to regulate this and that another force is actually asking the city council to respond when it's the police, my understanding, the police is road safety. And these are not fit for purpose. People can get their hands on them, take them on the road, take them on the pavement, take them across control crossings, you know, and nobody's checking the road safety. Statement from the um, spokesperson for VOI, just putting both sides here. Uh, E-scooters are a key part of the green transport uh, revolution and can make our cities happier and healthier places by reducing air pollution and freeing up roads from traffic. The spokesperson added, introducing a new mode of transport comes with challenges, but said the company is committed to providing a safe and sustainable uh, transport solution. We have to leave it there. It's uh, very much food for thought. It's one that we're going to uh, keep on top of as the uh, days and weeks go by, but it's uh, absolutely uh, fascinating and interesting, but also thought-provoking and worrying. Sarah Gayton of the National Federation of uh, the Blind of the UK, who carried out this review of the e-scooter tyres. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show. Thank you very much too. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. More stories and Birmingham faces apocalyptic traffic growth over the next 16 years unless people are encouraged to use cars less, a campaigner has warned. Environmental campaigner David Gorsum has made this statement after Birmingham City Council released a consultant's report to him under the Freedom of Information Act 2000 predicting a 27% increase in traffic by 2037. The forecast made by consultants Jacobs was made in 2019 but takes into account a number of transport measures including the clear air zone, 20 mile per hour areas and the Dudley Road scheme. And around a fifth of the city's 69 wards have now hit the interim target of 75% vaccination, a health chief has said. Speaking at a Birmingham Health and Wellbeing Board meeting earlier this week, Birmingham City Council's Assistant Director of Public Health, Dr Mary Orware, gave an update on COVID. Last week it was reported Birmingham's case rate had risen from 284.1 in the seven days up to September the 3rd compared to 286.2 in the seven days up to September the 10th. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. Now it's been described as a backstage pass to the key people and events during crucial early years. It's a heartfelt story of a unique friendship. Who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about David Bowie and drummer, musician and friend John Cambo Cambridge, 
who has uh, penned the whole story in a, in a book that has been released this week. It's called uh, Bowie, Cambo and All the Hype. And uh, Cambo, John Cambridge, joins me on the line right now. Hiya, John. I'm good. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this for anybody, any lover of music, that this this is a, this is a must read. Right. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, so tell us about how it all came about. Well, to, to be quite honest, Ben, you know, I've never picked up for years. I've been seeing you watch write all these stories down in a book, and I've never really, you know, had the ambition to write a book ever. Yeah, I mean, I've helped other authors out, and people have run uh, from magazines. I've helped them out, you know. And, and put a few rights. Um, never wanted to write a book. It didn't enter my head. Uh, and when when other authors, all the books have come out, they've never seen this book on Voyage on, and they've shown me something, and I've said, no, that didn't happen, no, that wouldn't happen, no, that wasn't true, you know, and, and I've just thought, I've bothered. But um, we did the, we just finished a show for, called Ten and Face History, at the whole Truck Theatre, it's the story of Mick Ronson's life, and it's the fourth time we've done it. And when, when I was approached, to do this show by the, the, the writer Gary Burnett. He came to interview with me, he's like uh, 2017, and I'm telling these little bits what he could put in the show. You know, I didn't want him involved with the show. And um, he said to me, oh, you should put, these should be in the book journal of these stories. And I said, no, you know, I don't want to. And I always thought people were passing in writing on David, you know. So it's never bothered me. So we've done the show, and obviously the fourth rule it's been up for the years. It got cancelled when the pandemic happened. But, um, so when this pandemic happened and there was nothing to do but apart from go to Tesco, he said, come on, John, now's the time to do it. Why don't you do it? Get it all written down. So I relented and said, OK, then we'll do it. So if it wasn't for the pandemic, I would never have done it. Yeah, small uh, small mercies and, and these these things come along and, and you, you find the, the ideal opportunity. So uh, you, you're going through through the book here, the, the formative years for uh, David Bowie. So uh, you, you were with him at key moments like when, when he lost his father, when he passed his driving test and, and when he played his first glam rock gig. Right. Yeah, well, yeah I was at that glam rock gig, yeah. <laughs> did, did you know, did you know that... Obviously, uh, you're talking about a friend here, but did you know? Did did you get that kind of feeling? It's you know a bit like when people say that, that when they saw the Starman performance on top of the pops. You know, yeah. did did you get that feel? Uh, well, that gig. Yeah, or, yeah, that gig. Yeah. Uh, not really, but I think I mean both shows are a lot to do with Angie. His wife. I mean, David's always been into theatre. You know, the man and obviously he'd be So he's always been into uh, the theatre. So when Angie said, "Oh, we ought to be." doing something a bit different rather than just going on with long hair and jackets like all the other bands. And so she came up with it, I mean, in the costumes, there wasn't, you know, it was, there was a bit that really. And we all had sort of names, and I didn't know we, we all had names until like years after. Someone said, it was called, no, I didn't know that, you know. I just thought I was dressed because that David, you know, David was apparently Rainbow Man, Mason was Gangster Man, Johnny Visconti was Hype Man, and I was Cowboy Man. But, um, Absolutely, and so so all those things that the sort of like the formation of the of the alter ego with with, with Ziggy Stardust, and you're you're kind of seeing it all um, come out in front of you, and and then uh, th throughout the seventies, and then the, um, uh, the almost the renaissance of David Bowie into the into the early eighties as, uh, uh, as well. I mean, it must have been an incredible journey to be on. Well, I suppose so, but, but, but you don't realize at the time you you're only sort of like nineteen twenty, and it's just another gig. It's just you know. You don't, 
if, if in hindsight you could look back and say, right, this person you are playing with now is going to be a mega, mega star in the future, you would take it all in, yeah, and you'd keep, you'd keep stuff, which I did keep a, a lot of stuff, but, you, you know, we didn't have sort of like phones and our cameras and this sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, David, when I was a David, we could walk down the street together, we used to go to the pub together and play darts and things like that and talk, talk as normal people. So that is my period with him, and so I... And even after, when he did get mega famous, and I met up with him quite a few times in the talks and that, he still talks to me exactly as he did, as he did when I was with him in the early days. And I still talk exactly as I did to him. And I think he, he, he respects that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 2016, obviously, um, uh, th- there were a lot of um, celebrity passings in, in that year, but I... I, I I seem to recall David Bowie being being in the in the January of that year at the, at the start of 2016, uh, when he passed, and um, you were you were with him and near to him uh, right up at the end. Yeah, I mean, we also sent each of the daft emails and, and um, what emails uh, I sent with me, me and uh, John Hutchinson who was in feathers with him, with David and Hermione before I was, and I, I've known John for a long as well. But incidentally, he he only passed away a couple of months ago. Um. And in um, Christmas cards, I've had a Christmas card from David for the past, well, right up to his death for the past seven years, since since the year 2000. And nothing was ever mentioned about him, him being ill, you know. Uh, and, and I even got a Christmas card, I mean, David died, I think, on the 8th of January, something like that, 8th or the 10th of January. And I even got a Christmas card, like, uh, obviously the Christmas before, like three weeks before. Nothing yeah. mentioned, nothing. That funny reply to my email. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh... So you've got the book now, uh, and uh, it's now released in in the UK, and uh, plans as well. Uh, well, it is going to be released in in March of twenty twenty two in the US. I mean, we saw we saw um, news this week that uh, although things could change by the time we get to March, of course, um, travel restrictions uh, relaxed to, to uh, the. US. Are you planning on going to the US to promote the book or? Oh, okay. Oh, fair, uh, fair enough, though. But it is um, out in paperback now, priced twelve ninety nine. Um, Bowie, uh, Cambo, and uh, all the hype. One question I've got to ask you, and you are probably the best person to answer this question. And right. uh, there's people um, that will be listening to this because uh, is it David Bowie or is it David Bowie? Right, you know, David, right. David even told me um, he got the idea for Bowie from um, watching the Alamo with John Wayne and Richard Widmark, and Richard Widmark played David Bowie, and so he, he, he likes the name Bowie, not Bowie. Yeah, Bowie. my mum. In fact, I don't know what he's kept. So when I went to Germany, I came back because he was friends. I was looking at Haddon Hall, and, and I saw in the shop a little rubber knife in a rubber case, and it said it Bowie knife. It said on the side Bowie, and I bought him this little rubber knife. It's probably good best. Absolutely, yeah. Um, um, my mum to this day it still says says Bowie, uh, and and I would say to I said, Mum, was the host of Bullseye Jim Bowen? No, it was Jim That's Bowen. Right, yeah. It was Jim yeah. Bowen. 
so it, so it's it's the same kind of thing but uh, there we go so uh, the book is out now uh, bowie uh, Cambo and all the hype uh, john cambridge and autobiography and uh, it is out now in paperback and you can find it in all good uh, places where you can get hold of your books and you can get it online uh, as well um john cambridge thank you very much indeed for joining us and good luck with the book Thank you. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. More stories and controversial plans for 15,000 homes in Solihull will be discussed by big-name developers and community champions next week, but COVID fears mean attendance will be restricted. Planning inspectors are to begin their in-depth interrogation of the council's key blueprint for future development over the next 15 years. As was revealed over the summer, the draft local plan will be subject to some six weeks of scrutiny spread between now and December before the officials make the case for any changes. And extremely angry businesses affected by the Metro Works on Corporation Street deserve an apology and compensation, according to Birmingham's council leader. Work on the Metro route laid in 2016 now have entered their ninth week and Councillor Ian Ward said it had put some firms back to square one following slow improvements in the wake of the pandemic. The tracks were laid five years ago and the West Midlands Combined Authority responsible for transport in the region has not said why the current works are needed. This is the best of the week with me, Ben Ellis, from Switch Radio, made for Birmingham. You can catch us on the radio every Sunday between 12 and 2, looking back at the biggest stories across Birmingham and Solihull from the previous seven days. Switch Radio is the station for local artists. We like to promote them in a big way. We'll be having a conversation with a great Birmingham band called Roma Cove very shortly. But first of all, let's hear their music. This is their single. It's called You and I.
sure to be many hits you and i the best of the week with me ben ellis from switch radio handing you over now to the guys in conversation with fiona douglas the week with ben ellis this is switch right so thank you ben uh yes so today we are in conversation with um a four-piece band from birmingham under the name of roma cove so i want to introduce you to lewis lewis and tom so um Good afternoon, guys. You're okay? Hi, all right. Well, good. Good. So just for radio purposes, I'll just like kind of say who's talking, if you don't mind. So that or, or I'll direct a question at you there. That's better, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So um so Tom, you're first on my screen. So I want to ask you, um, tell us a little bit about how you guys met and got together. Um, okay, so Romico has been going about three years now. Um, I was previously in a band with uh, Lewis Moss, uh, the lead singer. Um, we played about, that band ended, and we wanted to continue on. Um, then we were looking for a guitarist. We've known Lewis Peace all the way through secondary school, and lo and behold, he still magically, he was still playing guitar at the time. So we yeah. said, any chance of you joining the band? And Luckily, he did accept, and um, Roma Cove was born then. Okay, brilliant. And the name Roma Cove. So, Lewis P, where does that come from? What, what, how did that come about? I see Tom smiling broadly there. I hope that's not a bit of a suspicious <laughs> no, question there. <laughs> no, so, so what happened was um, we used to be called Hyde. When, when I first joined the band, we were called Hyde, um, not H-Y-D-E, and when we released our first single, um, there's actually a really famous like Japanese sort of post-metal band called Hyde. Mm -hmm. And when we released our single, we was all really excited for the release or buzzing and it landed on their page. And we had everyone messaging us saying, I'm listening to your song, but it's on some random Japanese band's page. Mm -hmm. um, so we had a bit of trouble with that, but then we thought, we got that all sorted out and we were fine. And it was one day we were recording and the producer of the song was like, I tried to find you on social media and I just can't find you, you need to change the name. So we sat down and we like we spent about two weeks going through like different names and it was literally one of them where I think Tom had mentioned something with the word Cove in it, which we all wanted. Yeah. Um, except Lewis actually, because he thought of Cove in of the Cove in that goes on your ceiling. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what you mean, yeah. <laughs> class. yeah get that. Class. We were trying to no, no not the cool, the cool kind of beach thing. That's what we're going for. <laughs> and, um, um, Joel, who isn't on at the moment, just literally said in mid-conversation just the words of Roma Cove, and we were like, 
that's it. Let's just go with that. Oh. And that's been it. That's what we've had since. And Roma Cove was born. Fantastic. So it's <laughs> half manufactured, half an, uh, accident. Look yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay, then. So Moss. So I'm calling <clears throat> Moss because there's two Lewises in the band, and this is how they determine each other. So Moss. Um, hi, yeah. You okay? Yes, I'm well, thanks. thanks very good, much. good. So I've um, done a little bit of research on you today, guys, and I can see that you've done quite a few quite notable gigs around Birmingham. So we've got like Mother's Studio, you've been on Raw TV, which is kind of passing of age kind of a <laughs> thing for most bands <laughs> to do. Uh, Sunflower Lounge, you've been the Feelings Track of the Day, Future Projects, Dark Horse. Why have I not heard of you? Where have you been? What are you doing? <laughs> So um yeah, so you've been to you've done quite a few gigs. Um mm. what was so you say you've been established for about three years. Obviously, we've got to take nearly a year out because of COVID, so we'll we'll ignore yeah. that. Um so what were you doing up until lockdown? What what kind of things had you done or you know had momentum started or what kind of stopped you or has anything happened? And that's I think, Mox. Oh sorry, no. sorry, sorry, Lewis. No, go on. No, Lewis, have the floor, please. Okay, sorry, <laughs> going back to Lewis then. <laughs> I think we, we we managed to build some like decent momentum. I think before before Corona, it was like we were gigging probably once a month, and we were like selling good tickets each time, and like playing with the likes of this feeling. And I think the the gig there was a big Discover Birmingham um, like mini festival that went on the Sunflower that we played um, with mm-hmm. the assist in Carcosa that night um and it was all going it was all going swimmingly it was all like we was in the right places and stuff and then we had a release show scheduled for our single she told me in i think that was supposed to be the 27th of march or the 21st of march something like that and obviously that was a week after everything went into lockdown and i think after that it just well i think every single band just kind of if you weren't doing those kind of um you know those live stream shows and stuff you just kind of went off the face of the, the earth and just didn't really know what to do with yourself and we I think we've kind of fell victim to that I think we probably could have tried to keep the momentum going a bit better but it was just such a difficult time to try and get everything building up again so I yeah. think um the position that you're in is that people who were very active on social media and doing lots of different things kind of like that'll the storm a little bit easier so whereas you're all started from the same point but theirs is there's they're kind of upward trajectory is going to be a little bit easier than yours but so what what plans have you got in in regards to getting your faces out there raising those profiles you know have you got gigs lined up anybody i don't mind who answers that one we've, uh, got, we've actually got uh, uh, mr moss go on. Go on. Um, we've got a um a gig lined up it's technically not announced yet but I mean, now it's better than ever, probably. There you go. Uh, yeah. uh, Why not? <laughs> yeah, it'll be uh, at Norton's in Digworth, which is oh, brilliant. regular anyway. Mm-hmm. And that'll be the 10th of December. So it's going to be like, we're doing a lot of work kind of behind the scenes for that. Um, make it more of a show. It's our night. <clears throat> we're, you know, we're, we're in a sense putting that on, doing a longer set or two longer sets <laughs> than usual. So that the work has, has already started. You know, it sounds silly. It's what? three months in advance but it's, it's got to be you that's know. where you've got yeah that's what you've got to do yeah that's it so talking about your set and your kind of music what what kind of i go back a little bit now do that um is what kind of music influenced you guys to begin with and then 
how do you feel that your your kind of style of music is now? So I'll put that one to Tom first of all. So who have you who have been your musical influences? Because sometimes they're very different to the music you actually play. But I'm I'm curious. Uh, my musical influences would be more in the case of uh, it's a bit more rock. So it'd be like Foo Fighters, um, Royal Blood, um, Catfish and the Bottom Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go into some sort of heavier stuff as well, but that's where I started to, that's where I started to learn in regards to my music and everything like that. Um, regarding to going into the band itself, uh, I think we've probably gone through like three or four different phases of music writing itself. Um, <laughs> starting off with a very, very sort of indie pop, I probably imagine we'd probably call it. Um, which, as I say, it did go down well. Uh, that's a song called Stuck in My Mind, which is still on Spotify at the moment. Mm. And then we're, still, we're all on Spotify. And an app near you. And we've just developed the band over time. And we're now sort of in what we probably call like a, a darker indie side of things. Okay. That's a lot that's more heavier. Enough. Yeah, because, I mean, people do try to they find their kind of niche kind of style don't know and, and bands do evolve so that's very mm. you know very reflective of what you're saying there so lewis um what would you say is your musical influences i think it's weird because i listen to a lot of um, music that's got nothing to do with any of the music that we make so i mm. listen to a lot of like drill like um afro beats like that kind of music but from like uh from coming into the band sort of but from that perspective, I grew up listening to a lot of McFly and Busted. Those are the bands <laughs> I used to love. And <laughs> like some people would be embarrassed to come out and say that, but I'm not. Like those are the bands that I used to love as a kid. Yeah, and then, that's fair enough. Um, I like, and then I sort of started listening to more like like American rock, like pop punk, like Green Day, like that kind of thing. Because um, I never really liked Arctic Monkeys when I was young, when they were like popular it was just I was just one of them that didn't get it until I was much much older mm-hmm. um and I think those it, it's kind of like the pop punk influences that kept me going as like a guitarist up till I joined the band and then these guys were like if you want to be in this band you have to like Arctic Monkeys basically and then they kind of put me on <laughs> <to be fair. laughs> so. yeah well I, I do this show on a Wednesday called Dirty Dance Floors which is a reference mm-hmm. from an Arctic Monkey song and um I love Arctic Monkeys as well but it's kind of like it's almost like biblical. It's like it's kind of before Arctic Monkeys and after Arctic mm-hmm. Monkeys in with indie. Like most people today see Arctic Monkeys as the starting points, whereas I go back another thirty years potentially. <laughs> that. So it's kind of Arctic Monkeys and midway for me. <laughs> yeah. So and I know a lot of people that have spoken to, especially over lockdown, um, a lot of bands. Um, you know, the Arctic Monkeys have been such a massive influence on their music and their style and stuff. And not a bad thing. They're a brilliant band. So, you know, why not? And what about you, Moss? What about your influences? Um, my influences were initially the Beatles uh, and always, like, that doesn't go away. Yeah. And it's been a long time <laughs> listening to, uh, how old am I? I don't know, like five, six years ago, listening to only Oasis. And that was it. And then, and then I had to kind of build up to new stuff and got in. And then onwards from there, Arctic Monkeys came along. The Strokes mm-hmm. weirdly came after Arctic Monkeys. More, you know, last few years, that one. Uh, Blossoms, you know, p- p- people like that these days. So it, I think the Beatles never 
kind of go away. And no. I, I mean, I don't think you can beat them for songwriting, do you know what I mean? But there's plenty of other things to, to go at as well. I, th I think you've definitely got your game changes along with the kind of timeline of music, haven't you? So, yeah. Yeah, Oasis is another big one for a lot of people, not for me, but yeah. <laughs> As you do. Okay, so um, so they're the musical influences. So where would you say, so Tom says that the music's started to be a bit darker now. So who does the writing in, in the in the, um, the group? I was going to say the team then. <laughs> Who's the writer? Me, primarily, but we, we do a bit of sort of group mucking in as well, if you want to call it that. Yeah, no, fair enough. And what kind of things do you use as your subject matter is it just anything or is it do you draw yeah. on personal experience or um yeah you know there's definitely um references and certainly things that like you know when, when you sing it or say it reminds you of certain things but mm. then the, the right the right for me tends to be like um i guess you'd call it like a hook or like something you think oh, i like the sound of that record it like get it down and then cut kind of builds it could be in the middle of the song by yeah. the time you've got but but you built the sort of the verse and the chorus off off this particular and yeah. sometimes it's the way that like a phrase is or, or, or the rhythm or something you think oh that, not the rhythm the melody or something you think like oh yeah that's i can, I can, you know, you can kind of hear something in it and that could be right there and the song is you know beginning middle and end yeah so. just build around it i did hear a story once about billy eilish actually um built um bad guy off the back of the australian um traffic lights the noise that they make yeah like she, she, she heard that and her and her, her brother kind of built around that and it was quite bad because they're not like you know you know the beeping that the traffic lights make they yeah. do make a very strange sound in australia i don't know if you've heard it but and that's that's kind of like the rhythm at the very base of bad guy which is quite mad so yeah it could be i suppose it can be anything and you can just build it from there that's good. And yeah. do you just jam and stuff, or do you actually, you know, do you um, record your jams and do you go back and think, well, yeah, that one's good and stuff like that? What's, what's your process? I'll probably say we, we used to do more of the kind of the jamming side of things um, and just kind of see what happens. And in honesty, we probably need to do a bit more of it. Um, <laughs> like now, you know, we'll, like, we'll yeah. show up at, at the lockup and just kind of practice, practice, practice. But sometimes it's about, you know the other things that you perhaps forget about which is you know there's you know jams and things like that so we definitely used to though tom's a big advocate of the jam. <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> awesome. yeah but like during lockdown obviously we can't we can't not talk about lockdown the, the elephant in the room um you, obviously you're not able to go and do a jam session so you know did you have to adapt or change the way that you communicate it's like your music to each other and stuff and how did you find that Me and Lewis wrote a song via voice notes, didn't we? It became sort of put together something uh, as yeah, literally just a voice note, not even like a, a nicely put together demo or anything like that, like a scrappy little voice note. I gave it to Lewis. He was able to actually turn it into something presentable. <laughs> something we're going to release pretty soon we're hoping so that, that's great it's like a little game you know that you know when you're at school and you used to fold the paper over and pass it along and draw something and then fold it over <laughs> and pass it along. it's a bit like that but we've always so that'd be great i'm going to say a line two lines now you say two lines <laughs> and we made a song that's great 
So, Lewis, do you think that your other influences, because the other two are almost on the same kind of genre, so you with your Afro beats and stuff like that, do you feel um, that you, you bring something to the table with that? <coughs> Kind of. I think it's weird because the, because the genres are so different. There's not a lot that translates. So I think the mo <laughs> if we go, if we go back to jamming for a second, me and Tom spent like hours just annoying Lewis at the locker room just by playing this <laughs> like because I play like the Afrobeat, like the classic Afrobeats, like and then me and Tom would just be playing around with that for ages and he'd just be standing there talking to us like, can we actually do something now? So <laughs> to be honest, I don't think I've ever bought anything productive that was based around like Afrobeats and drill because it just, I can't but, find but a even, way. But even that as a rhythm would be, you know, would be something new yeah. to the table, wouldn't it? So it's all good. So, <laughs> we it and then we wow. ended up like, almost rewriting Faith by George Michael. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was similar actually, yeah. That's true. <laughs> So in regards to gigs, what I'd love to know is um, who who have you gone to see live? Because I love going to live gigs myself. Who have you seen live that have just absolutely blown your mind away? And it can be anybody. It can be, an, you know, someone who's not so well known or it can be a big, huge band. Um, but who do you think kind of ignited your um, thirst for, to want to be in a band and want to do this? Go on, Tom, I'll go with you first. Um, I'm trying to remember my first of the gigs that I went to. Uh, my one band that I, I adore seeing, um, and we're actually going to see them yet again. I think they're playing late November, I believe it is, which is the Libertines. Oh, right, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bit of a show there, that's right, yeah. I think, is Pete Doherty uh, doing it separately then? I did see he was on stage somewhere. Oh, that was Wolverhampton, wasn't it, yesterday? Yeah. Oh, was it, was it yesterday? <laughs> Yeah, well, right. yeah, great. And what about you, Lewis? Who's uh, what was your favorite gig? I think we grew up like when Peace and Swim Deep were just absolutely huge in Birmingham. And I think in the space of like the like the few years that Peace were touring, I think we saw him about four times, maybe five times. Right. I saw him at festivals as well. I just the, from the uh, we saw them at the the show they did with like Swim Deep, Jaws, Superfood all those like bands that were just really massive in Birmingham at that time. And obviously a lot of them went on to be bigger. Um, but they did like, they all did a Christmas show at the rainbow um, in like 2012. I think that was. Oh, yeah. And that was just, it, oh, it was just incredible. It was just one of the best nights ever. And then after that, like I didn't, I was playing in a, like a separate band at the time. Cause I was only like teenagers then. Um, and it just really made you want it. Like, you just like, I want that, like that. It's not a big room, but everyone in there just loved being in it. And that's yeah. all you want, really, when you're playing. They were just having such a great time. And that's what you love yeah. to see. Is even even as someone watching the band, you know, you get swept away with the, the whole kind of atmosphere, which is great. And what about you, Moss? Um, probably other end of the scale to kind of underground at the Rainbow, because one of the, weirdly, kind of one of the, earliest gigs I went to. I once saw the, um, it was like a mini day festival at Nebworth Park. Mm -hmm. I saw the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers there, but I managed to get, I'm not going to say at the front because that would be a lie, but <laughs> within, the, within the front, a few thousand people. Yeah. Like, you looking back and you can see what was probably, I don't know, 80,000 people like you know, wow. behind them. And you're thinking like, 
no, this is okay. You know, it's very much other end of the scale, but I remember that you used that kind of word igniting, and then mm. you think, like, yeah, actually, that was quite a, a time where you think, you know, imagine that, you know, obviously, you've got to go through all the bits to get there, but that was a, a big point for me, definitely. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. At least you've got, you know, you've got a goal, then haven't you? You've got somewhere to aim for, which is great. So, um, talking of gigs, then, so you've got your next gig is at the Norton. Where, when is it? Sorry, 10th of December. 10th of December, let's write that down. 10th of December. Okay. <laughs> Have you got any um, material coming out at all or anything can the build up to that? You can let me yes, know about it. We're, we're actually doing, um, we, in the next sort of few months, we're just really busy trying to prep a music video for it. So, all right, okay. We're going to, we've decided this one, we're probably going to do it ourselves. Um, and just see how that goes. I think it's not something that we've tried before. Um, we usually like with the couple of videos that we do have, we've got other people to put them together for us, but we just get in. We've Tom's like always got his little brainy ideas that he wants to wants to do, and half the time we go and Tom, nah, like let's not do that. But, <laughs> yeah. we've, but we've spent we spent the you know the best part of three years saying no to all his good, probably good ideas. So this time we sort of said yeah come on let's crack on with it so tom's gonna edit it as well yeah we just yeah we just, we just trying to i think we're just trying to have fun with it now so that's that is for um a song that we're going to release at the end of november called um i need you now more than i ever did i, I need you now more I than i ever now. did yeah. oh. is it i need you now brackets more than i ever did <laughs> Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> okay, I'm call that. <laughs> right. Last but not least, okay. So um, we're all talking about atmosphere and you know people having such a great time at live gigs. Um, my show on a Wednesday. Yes, I know I'm self-promoting here, but you know <clears throat> you've got to win it. So on a Wednesday night, um, it goes out at nine o'clock at night, and it's called Dirty Dance Floors because I wanted to play the dance floor music that people don't hear on radio stations so it's all indie based but you know like the usual you've got you've got oasis you've got blur you've got this you've got that and it's all the same kind of playlist so we're trying to play something a bit different and go back a few decades as well before arctic monkeys and even oasis <laughs> so <laughs> if you if you kind of i take it you've all been out in birmingham to clubs and stuff Correct me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that good? Yeah. So snobs, excels, or um, subway. I, I don't even know these clubs that are out there now. Um, so <laughs> what? Give give me some um, give me some tracks that would get you on the dance floor. It could be any. Well, yeah, <laughs> any, but kind of like an indie type one though. Not. <laughs> um. Oh, that's a tough one, you know. Or get me on the dance floor. Um. Which one would you go running onto the dance floor for? I've got things tonight. Like, you know we do um, to most anyway. <laughs> uh, well, that's fair enough. <laughs> I know. I know. Always goes down well. Um, common people, especially when you're oh, in the cool. future. You yeah. Out. I know. Everybody. That, does. 
that's actually what one of my karaoke songs with uh, <laughs> a, girl, a girl's holiday in Limassol. Let's just say I was there free entertainment. I think I sang it and did a bit of Jarvis Cocker, you know, as you do, waving the microphone around. <laughs> and every time we walked past the bar, they were like, "There's Fiona, come on, come and sing it again." And I was like, <laughs> "The first time I was like, yeah, I'll do it." And then I was like, "Look, I'm on holiday. Come on." So yes, the good one though. I love that. And that was it was Jarvis Cocker's birthday the other day. So there you go, common people. It was indeed. Happy birthday, Jarv. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> of course he will be, of course. Yeah. Uh, so common, common people. Any more for any more before we go? Mm. Any Queen song for me? Queen. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, so, um, Fighters, you had a shout for Foo Fighters earlier. Yeah. Yeah, Foo Fighters. We played a few Foo Fighters, yeah. Definitely them. Yeah. Mm. Are you going to see them at Aston Villa? Uh, sadly, not oh, getting tickets for it. Oh, oh well, they did. They did sell out pretty quick, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, then, guys. Well, we have to do it another time. Well, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> they will. When, that, when once they've been here, they'll realise what a great city it is, and they'll want to come back. Like, <laughs> unlike Tom Cruise, <laughs> who had his car. Good grief! I know it's like oh god. If we were doing so well, we were doing so well. You know, we had double bolty. <laughs> He was staying in the Grand Hotel, just freshly refurbed, and then someone goes and steals his car. Thank you, whoever that was. Cheers, so if you see some gangster walking around in a suit that's slightly too short for him, we've got that. <laughs> well, guys, it's been absolutely lovely speaking to you this evening. I want to thank Tom, Lewis and Muffs from the band Roma Cove. Listen out for them. We'll get some tunes on for them and on Dirty Dance Floors on Wednesday as well. I'll have a little, a little look and get some on there. Which one of yours would you say will get people on the dance floor? I think you and I, definitely. Yeah. You and I. You and I. You and I. Tune in on Wednesdays to listen to that one. But for now, we'll head back over to Ben in the studio. Thanks very much. Goodbye. The Week with Ben Ellis. This is Switch. We'd like to thank you for taking the opportunity to download our podcast, a review of the best from the week on Switch Radio. You can hear us on the radio every Sunday between 12 and 2, looking back on the week's news across Birmingham and Soli Hall. At Switch underscore radio is where you can find us on Twitter, at Switch underscore radio on Twitter. There's our Facebook page as well if you'd like to interact with the show. Thank you to all of our guests who appeared on the show and the podcast this week. Sajida Golby on the autism issue uh, in Soli Hall. Things are happening on that as we speak, so there might be something on the show to do with that this Sunday from midday on Switch Radio. Do tune in for that. And to Sarah Gayton as well. She's on her crusade to point out the dangers of e-scooters in cities up and down the country. And she's provided some video evidence for that, like we said, on our, uh, on our Twitter handle, at Switch underscore radio. You can check that out as well. So Roma Cove in conversation with the guys with Fiona Douglas there and the bonus content, John Cambo Cambridge, his book out about his relationship with his best friend, David Bowie. It's available now. You can download this podcast from wherever you usually find yours and we will talk to you next week from me ben ellis and all the team have a good time the week with ben ellis this is switch